Welcome to Israel War Briefing, a podcast from the Jewish Chronicle offering deep insight into the crisis in the Jewish state as it continues to unfold. I'm Jake Wallace-Simons, editor of the Jewish Chronicle and author of Israelophobia, the newest version of the oldest hatred and what to do about it. In each episode, I'll be asking an expert commentator for their analysis of the latest developments and reflections on what comes next. This episode is sponsored by the Jerusalem Foundation. I'm Josh Kaplan, in for Jake Wallace-Simons. In the past few episodes of the show, we focused a lot on different aspects of the war. But today we're looking at the human stories from within Israel. October the 7th has been described as a moment of no return for the country. And many Israelis seem to have this feeling that life may not return to the way it was before Hamas attacked. Joining me to discuss this is Mishy Harman. Mishy's a podcaster and host of the Israel Stories podcast. He also studied at Cambridge and Harvard and is now based in Jerusalem. Mishy, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Josh. Lovely to be with you, despite the circumstances. And I guess I wanted to start by talking about what's been your experience of being in Israel since October the 7th? Well, that's a complicated question. Um... We are speaking on the 37th day of this war, I believe, and uh, it feels like a lifetime. Um, And uh, like many other Israelis and like many Jews and non-Jews around the world, we've cycled through many different emotions um, these past uh, five-ish weeks, of course. from, you know, disbelief to uh, pain to anger to resilience to uh, fear um, to inspiration. Um, you know, I think for most people this was... We're, we're now living out a reality that most people didn't think would be part of their lived experience here. Um on October 6th, uh, 1973, my, uh, my father, um, was, was sick and, uh, it was Yom Kippur and he didn't go to synagogue because he wasn't feeling well. And when my mother returned from, uh, from the morning services in synagogue and sirens began, um, announcing the very beginning of the Yom Kippur war, my father said to her, Oh, don't don't worry. It's probably just children playing on the rooftop, and they they uh, set off a siren. And then, fifty years and a day later, I had the exact same conversation with my wife, um, because none of us believed that this was going to be what reality would look like. And I think that's something that a lot of people have spoken about: is that the most shocking aspect of this has kind of been the destruction of this idea that Israel is the one place on earth where Jews can just be totally safe. And it feels like some that's one of the main things that's changed since October 7th, is this vulnerability. For sure. Um, and of course, even the experiences within Israel are not uh, all the same. Uh, needless to say, the communities that had the horrible, horrible 
misfortune of being attacked on October 7th have a completely different experience than people living like myself in Jerusalem or people living in the north, people who have been evacuated from their homes. There's Perhaps this is something that's uh, difficult to... To fully grasp from afar, from outside of Israel, but there is also a life continuing here. I mean, people are going to work, and restaurants are open, and everything has changed. But there is also a life. I mean, it, it's 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 one of these sort of mind-boggling things that, very close to the studio where from where I'm now speaking to you, there are people in full-out war. And yet I'm sitting in a studio and speaking to you. Um, yeah, the, these are complicated and, and confusing times, I think, for everyone. And I think another thing that the people outside of Israel often forget is just how small a country it is, right? Like there's not someone in Israel that hasn't been affected by this. Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, the numbers of casualties um, are so high um that uh that most people um know someone in their first circle or second circle or third circle who has been killed or has been injured or survived um and obviously currently there are hundreds of thousands of people who are called up to reserve so many people you know, are living a reality in which they're in constant concern and, um, you know, checking their phone every every second to see to see if there's any news or if they've received any message. Uh, and so for your podcast, you've been speaking to a lot of people. I think you've released something like 24 episodes since the war began. Are there any of the stories that have stood out particularly to you in terms of I don't know, just a really good way of encapsulating this current situation. When the war began, we, our team got together and we were all involved, as everyone else was, in a million different initiatives. Uh, some members of the team um, were enlisted in, in, in reserves and some were volunteering in uh, um, all kinds of, you know, the, uh, inspiring different civil society initiatives and we very quickly got together and thought well how do we tell the story of this moment which is obviously um, a whole new chapter in, in Israeli history and what we decided to do is to release daily episodes um, in which we talk to people and try to share their experiences of war and from, from, from many different kinds of, um, of vantage points. So from people who are, whose family members, whose sisters, whose children, whose parents are hostages and kidnapped in, into Gaza, to people who lost their spouses or their siblings, to people who uh, ran, ran away and managed to survive the carnage on October 7th, all the way to people who volunteered for reserve duty or who um, initiated tremendous uh, civil society operations, chefs that are cooking 10,000 meals a day or programmers who are creating 
um, applications that help you match up uh, people, you know, with in need of a home with people offering their homes or um, rock rock uh, stars who go out to the front lines and play for troops mm-hmm. or um, uh, I'm just sort of looking a second at the or, or mothers who are who are at home with four little children and no kindergarten and uh, and don't know how to how to explain this craziness that we're all into little kids um, and people getting married during the war or people you know there, there were so everything was in such disarray and and our leadership unfortunately was so abysmal our uh, our elected leadership that and this is something that I'm sure you've heard and many of your listeners will have heard again and again but Israel the the, the entity called Israel the state is in a very very real way its citizens its civil mm-hmm. society they they and we functioned in a way that gov- governmental offices did not um, so as part of that um, almost everything had to was was taken care of by citizens who organized and dealing with kids and with blood drives and with um, animals that were left behind and with rides to the front and everything you can imagine um, so these you know and and of course education and there's so many people currently um, not living in their homes many people um, who don't know if they even have a home to return to many people don't have a home to return to and um, and we try to explore in every single episode the experience of war from a different angle was it what is it be what is it like to be abroad what is it like to um, experience the war from outside of Israel I don't know there's been a whole a whole Holocaust um, sort of rhetoric going on throughout the war how do Holocaust survivors feel about that um, of course, not only Israelis were were uh, the victims of October 7th, but there were many foreigners here. What's it like to be a Nepali mm. you know, agriculture student who has no idea who the Hamas is and has never never heard of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, more or less, and suddenly find, him, find himself in the middle of a, of a battlefield? Or, you know, what's it like to write poetry in this time? And then, and this is perhaps important to say, um, we are Israelis, and um, we are at war, and this is a war that we didn't want, and we didn't initiate, and we didn't choose. Um, and at the same time, our whole goal here at Israel Story has been for the last 13 years to complicate matters and to inject as much nuance as possible mm-hmm. into the story. And there's a very real... Uh, black and white reality now and a lot of people are um, are understandably focusing on our own pain Mm -hmm. Um, but we have decided that we were also going to share stories from the other side so we've uh, shared a story of a Palestinian peace activist who was killed in Gaza uh, with his family and just yesterday, we shared a story of a Bedouin leader from Rahat, uh, an Israeli citizen, who is sort of completely torn. On the one hand, his brother-in-law is a hostage. On the other hand, 
70% of his family live in Gaza and are being bombarded by, by Israeli uh, planes. Um, so we, we try to really give listeners as many angles as possible through which to view this, uh, this, these terrible times. And This week's episode of the Israel War Briefing is sponsored by the Jerusalem Foundation. Since the horrific events of October the 7th, the Jerusalem Foundation has turned to help in the immediate crisis, coordinating the relief efforts for the 20,000 war evacuees from southern and northern Israel now housed in Jerusalem, as well as looking after the city's own vulnerable populations. For more information, or if you want to donate to their emergency support effort, please go to www.jerusalemfoundation.org or justgiving.com slash Jerusalem Foundation UK. Thank you. You know, you've spoken to, as you say, kind of huge different parts of Israeli society, Arab Bedouins, you dealt with the Palestinian thing. Do you get a sense of, maybe it's too early to say, but do you get a sense of what this is going to do to the Israeli psyche in the future? You know, this is a fundamental change in the way that Israelis think about their country, right? You know, how how will this affect the national psyche, the national mood going forward after the war? Yeah. Um, look, I think that it's it's very it's very uh, early to to be able to predict these kind of things. There are obviously going to be political ramifications uh, for all of this, but um, I think in and and it's also important to situate all this, which is that this war broke out in the middle of one of Israel's deepest crises mm. in its history. Israel was in the middle of uh, sort of a, a real battle of ideas as to what the future of this country should be should should look like and should be. Um, and I think that there for many people is a real identity crisis and uh, not you know a lot of a lot of we we build our identities, our political identities, our social identities, our national identities throughout our lives. And this is this moment where for many people, those identities and things that we all thought were true um, turned out to be not true. Um, and it's difficult for people on the left um, that uh, who have fought for many, many years for coexistence and for peaceful resolutions and a lot of them are saying uh, now well this has opened our eyes mm. on the other hand we've also talked to a lot of people who have the exact opposite um, reaction and say and say like look look what um, our leadership and our policies have led us to and there is no military solution there is there if you know, if we all assume that we are not going anywhere and the Palestinians are not going anywhere, then there has to be some other way forward. Um, and I should say that my 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 colleagues and my amazing team at Israel Story, and I'd just like to mention them, they're Zev Levi and Yochai Metal and Adina Karpuch and Mitch Ginsberg 
and Yael Ben Chorin and Jennifer Cutler and um, and Ali Muller have been traveling all over Israel and listening to people um, really up and down, uh, people whose lives have radically, radically changed. And I think that amid all of the grief and amid, amid all of the pain, there's also a tremendous amount of strength and tremendous amount of resilience and tremendous amount of hope um, that, uh, that things will be better. Hmm. And do you get a sense that the older generation who perhaps lived through 67, 73, and then, you know, the sort of lesser conflict since then, that they feel that because they survived that, they can survive this. Is there any of the strength that comes from having survived these things in the past? Of course. I mean, we're speaking in the middle of a developing story, yeah. right? Um, who knows what will happen in in tomorrow or in ten minutes from now? Mm. Israel could just suddenly uh, the other actors could uh, could enter the the war, and we could be in an entirely new ball game. Um, but speaking to you right now, given what I know at this very moment, I think that we will come through and that uh, there will be a day after this and that we need to think carefully about what we want that day to look like and what we want our life here to look like. Mm. Um, I think that there's all kinds of things that are that are clear and, and, and perhaps the, the main thing that is clear is that things will be different, that um, the way that we approached our own defense will be different, and that has all kinds of ramifications. Um, uh, you know, probably in all likelihood, the military will will grow quite dramatically, mm. um, and uh, that means that the military's budget will grow dramatically, and that means that other budgets uh, will become smaller: education, welfare, uh, health. Um, there's real questions as to what this will do to the sentiment of the people. Does that mean that the population is going to shift to the right um, and um, and adopt a more sort of militaristic and more hawkish uh, approach to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or not? I mean, one thing that I'm holding, and this perhaps relates back to your question in my mind, and it's, of course, a different situation and a different historical context. But four years, almost to the day after the um, Yom Kippur War broke out, Anwar Sadat, the Egyptian president, addressed the Knesset. Mm. And shortly thereafter, we signed a peace agreement with uh, Egypt. So the magnitude of these events is such that it's really hard to know Hmm. what what will come of them what what is certain of course is that a lot of people have lost their lives hmm. on both sides and that's something that's irreversible and if you're a mom whether it's in uh Beri or in uh or in Khanunis and uh you saw your your son or daughter die in front of your eyes that's not something that will change yeah it's yeah i mean i think oftentimes when we get caught up in the grand military strategy or the implications for israel you you kind of forget about the sort of day-to-day -day 
individual horrors of which there are thousands, right? Absolutely. My, my colleague Adina, who's in the control room right here, her family uh, live in Beri, mm. which was one of the kibbutzim that... Uh, that was uh, that suffered uh, the, the, the most casualties, and their entire life now is uh, is uh, is is up in the air. They don't know where are they going to live, what are they going to do. Their entire community has sort of fallen apart. Uh, do they try to stick together? Do they not? Uh, and these are. It's important to remember that at the end of all of these fancy words and all of these experts talking on TV and stuff like that about uh, large trends and this at the end there are people hmm. um, and people live lives yeah I just also wanted to ask you a little bit about how the kind of diaspora of Jewish community is viewed in Israel at this time I think something that I found really interesting is I've got Israeli family right and you know and I know Jewish people in America and they've texted me to ask if I'm okay during you know, these crazy protests we've seen in London. And I think sometimes there's a bit of a sentiment in Israel that that, that Europe and I guess London in particular is not a safe place to be Jewish or openly Israeli. And I guess I kind of wanted to get your take on what people in Israel think about what's happening in the diaspora right now. I think that this war was a reminder to many, many Israelis some of whom had forgotten mm. this, that their that world Jewry um, is totally part of this story. To begin with, um, you know, we immediately appealed to Jews around the world who totally delivered, who sent in equipment and sent in donations and sent in contributions and. Uh, you know, so many people supported everything that was going on, and I, you know, the amount of people who emailed and text, texted, and 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 expressed concern. And then there's a whole other, um, there's a whole other side of this, which is that there's something real going on around the world at this moment. I mean, um, the the anti-Semitic um, rhetoric, and in some cases actions that we're witnessing around the world are horrible mm. and there's a there's a way in which you know you might think well you know being in london or being in paris or being in new york is is easier than being here but i don't, I don't know that that's necessarily true i mean mm. um being on a college campus um where people sign letters that say that Israel is at fault for everything or being seeing people tear down posters of hostages I mean that's something really crazy um, it's real it's really crazy uh, and and I say that also from the context of I belong to the to the left in Israel mm. and uh, for many many years, I told everyone that wanted to hear that I think that people who talk about anti-Semitism around the world are confusing um, valid criticism of Israel as a as a political player, as a, as a state, as an entity, and anti-Semitism. And the truth of the matter is that now I don't know anymore. I I really don't know. I I think I was wrong. Um, I I I can't understand 
um, the the evil that that is um, necessary to come up to a poster of a you know six year old kid who's 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 kidnapped in Gaza mm. um, and and tear it down and that's a horrible thing and and I want to say something that this is not a dichotomous situation it doesn't mean that um, seeing one side's pain negates seeing the other side's pain I am very 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 upset about what's going on in Gaza very I think that the loss of life of civilians and of women and of children and of men and of adults and of, 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 of elderly in Gaza is horrible. And saying that doesn't make me in any way less horrified by the barbaric attacks of the Hamas who executed people in front of their parents' eyes, who kidnapped people, who burnt people alive, who did... Horrible things, and I think that I think that we're able to hold to hold pain. I mean, it's a very very difficult thing to do, but uh, but I think it's important. It's important, especially now, also to 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 recognize humanity on on all sides. Hmm. Yeah, I know that it's something that's difficult. I mean, a lot of people now don't want to hear about that, and I can understand that. A lot of my family members don't want to hear about that. Uh, a lot of my friends. And these are people um, who have a tremendous capacity for empathy. And I think that in times where, in times where you feel an existential threat, you often don't have the availability to hear about other suffering. Mm. Um, and, and, and I don't think that this is a time to judge anyone. And I think that that's totally understandable. Um, I, 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 all I can say is that I hope that we have less pain to to have to hold on, uh, you know, and 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 that we find a way to to live in calmer and simpler and and peace, more peaceful times. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a very good way of putting it. Um, I think that's that's kind of all we've got time for today. But thank you so much for joining us, Mishi. Sure, thank you. It was a real honor and pleasure. Thank you so much, Josh. The episode that you just listened to was sponsored by the Jerusalem Foundation. You've been listening to the Israel War Briefing from the Jewish Chronicle with me, Jake Wallace-Simons. Join us next time for more insight and analysis from leading experts.